Hello, 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 and welcome to the Timelines Project, a podcast all about the lore and story of Magic the Gathering, a very fun and interactive trading card game. If you're new, welcome. If you're not, welcome back. Today, we will be covering the book Planeswalker, the second in a series of four books. The previous episodes of the podcast were about The Brothers War, which is the first book in the series. If you're a newcomer, I suggest you listen to the other episodes as I will be telling the story of Planeswalker as if you have. You're back? Great. Now let's get started with the topic for today, Planeswalker. Chapter 1, Five Years Later It was five years after that fateful day that ended the Brothers' War. Urza descended to Dominaria after traveling the multiverse. During his travels, he met another planeswalker named Meshuvel, who explained the multiverse to Urza. After five years, he returned to Dominaria, released his ex-apprentice Tanos from his protective coffin, left Dominaria, and didn't return for over 2,000 years. Urza felt incredible guilt about the Brothers' War, but not about, you know, the continent-sinking part. That was fine. Perfectly normal. No, Urza felt responsible for Mishra's Phyrexianization, something he had no control over. He had some delusion about Ashnod being responsible, and if he had only talked to Mishra, everything would have been fine. And that is basically the plot of this whole book. Urza goes completely insane, wanders the plains, and tries to take all of Phyrexia on by himself. I am so excited. Chapter 2, A Relatable Character. This book is what I like to call premending, which means that planeswalkers, like Urza, are immortal, godlike beings. This poses a problem when telling a story from their perspective, because it's hard to relate to them. So, in the premending books about planeswalkers, they all have a sidekick that tells the story and keeps the tale grounded in reality. The sidekicks all have to be basically immortal so that they can stick around and not die of old age, but other than the old age thing, they can be easily killed, just like the reader. The relatable character for this book is... Zancho who got a card in the 2018 Commander set. Who is Zancho, you might ask? She's what's known as a Phyrexian Newt, which is... Well, actually, I'll explain that later. For now, you need to know that she is human in appearance and thinks of herself as female. She is basically immortal and can understand any language. Very convenient that she happens to be traveling with an immortal planeswalker who can speak any language. Our story picks up three and a half thousand years since the end of the Brothers' War. Zantra and Urza are living in a small cottage on the east side of the Oran Ridges, which is in the modern-day Teresier Isles, on the plain of Dominaria. Technically, she lived with Urza, but there was a wall between their two sides of the cottage, and he would often hole up in his side and not come out for several weeks. When our story starts... Urza called Zantra over to his side of the cabin. It was one of the rare occasions where Urza would talk to her or acknowledge her presence. He called her over to show her what he had been working on. It was one of those topographical map things they have in museums. Urza had recreated that fateful day at the Peace Conferences, 
when the king of Yodia ordered a bombing strike on the Phalagi tribes that Mishra, Urza's brother, had allied with. Urza believed that this was the day his brother became a Phyrexian. Let me remind you that Urza is completely insane. Mishra actually became Phyrexian much later, but Urza had recreated the scene anyway in hopes of accomplishing something. His goal was unclear, but then again, he is completely bonkers. Xantra knew that Urza was insane. He had been insane for thousands of years, but Xantra still had hope and a plan. She snapped him out of his obsession long enough to tell him that there was a war brewing in the south of the continent, and she had scented glistening oil on the wind. Side note, glistening oil is basically liquid black mana, and all Phyrexians contain a little bit of the stuff. Xantra managed to convince Urza to go check it out, and he planeswalked away to investigate. Meanwhile, Xantra executed her plan, and I have a little quote to kind of explain it. And I quote, A new Mishra wouldn't cure his madness. Nothing could do that. Not while those power stone eyes were lodged in Urza's skull. But if Mishra could convince Urza to walk away from his work table, that would be enough. And that is Sancha's plan. To find someone enough like Mishra that Urza could talk to and finally stop living in the past. Chapter 3, The Magic Cyst Urza and Xantra's cottage was very isolated, and to get anywhere would take weeks, time that Xantra didn't have, because Urza would be back in just a few days. Luckily, Urza had made an artifact that, when a rhyme was said, would form armor around the owner. He then had Xantra swallow the artifact, and it had merged with her stomach? Xantra had altered the rhyme so that she could form a giant bubble instead of armor around herself, and she used this to fly across Dominaria when she needed to. This time, she needed to fly fast. She had to find a Mishra replacement and get back before Urza returned. While on her journey, she began to think and remember. Uh, flashback sound. Chapter 3.1 Flashback you may cast this card from your graveyard, then exile it. Xantra, as I've already stated, is what's called a Phyrexian Newt. Newts are born in vats of flesh, blood, and oil, and that is what Xantra first remembered. She was completely submerged in a thick, warm liquid. She emerged from a vat into a dimly lit chamber. The chamber was called the Fane of Flesh, and was located on the fourth sphere of the nightmare hellscape that is Phyrexia. In the Fane of Flesh were Phyrexians called Vat Priests. They were completed Phyrexians in charge of overseeing the creation of Newts. Xantra emerged into the Fane of Flesh, holding a Power Stone. The Vat Priest told her it was her heart. Later on, I plan to do some episodes on metaphysics of Magic's Multiverse, and I'll do an episode on the Soul and Planeswalker Sparks, and I'll talk about Xantra's heart then. As Xantra's bones hardened, the Vat Priest had her do jobs, and then sent her to the Teacher Priests, who, and I quote, instructed the Newts as they transformed from useless flesh into complete Phyrexians. That's complete, spelled C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T, by the way. 
The teacher priests told her she was Sancha. It wasn't her name. Newts had no need of such trivial things. It was the place she stood for instruction, to receive food and sleep at night. There was no night and day on Phyrexia. It was complete. Phyrexia needed no sleep. Sancha would never be complete. She was a special newt that had been chosen to sleep on another world. What does that mean exactly, sleep on another world? Well, Sancha would be a sleeper agent, which sounds like she's sneaking into people's houses and sleeping in their beds, but it's not that at all. A Phyrexian sleeper agent infiltrates other planes and passes as human uh, to try to learn if the world had any resources that Phyrexia would need. Basically, she would be a double agent there, and slowly help, and help slowly take over the world from the inside. Millions of sleeper agents were sent to worlds, but Xantia wasn't ready for that quite yet. First, she had to learn how to pass as human. She was taken to the first sphere, or the surface of Phyrexia, and learn how to farm. One day, all the newts were called to see the demon Gix excoriated. He had failed to reclaim the stones from Urza and Mishra, and so was being taken to the seventh sphere of Phyrexia for punishment. Xantia had been made by Gix, and was treated with contempt by the other Phyrexians. She was kip- kicked to the curb until they could find a use for her. Chapter 4, The Quest for Mishra, and now we're back at the present. Xantia came to when she crashed the sphere into a tree line and tumbled to the ground. Xantia hadn't meant to get lost in her memories, but she had crashed into the country of Efuan Pinkar, which is exactly where she wanted to be. The men in Pinkar matched the descriptions of Mishra, and Xantia hoped it would be close enough for Urza's almost limitless imagination to fill in the gaps. As Xantra traveled from village to village, she learned that there were two rival factions in the region, called the Red Stripes and the Shrada, who were fighting for control. The Red Stripes were mercenaries gone rogue. They were called Red Stripes because they had a big red stripe going down the center of their uniforms. The Shrada were religious fanatics who would kill you if you didn't follow their 200 plus laws to the letter. The first two villages Xantra traveled to were abandoned. In the third village, there was people who begged her to go to the capital, Pinkar City, and tell the current ruler that the villagers needed help. Xantra agreed and began the journey to the capital, stopping in every village to try to find a Mishra lookalike. Xantra arrived in the market town of Medran. She entered the city and was greeted by the sight of slaves. It was Red Stripe controlled, and so slaves the slaves were probably Shrata supporters. Xantra walked by and then looked back, and that's when she saw him. He fit the description of Mishra perfectly. Young, with dark hair, not too tall, and he was a slave, as Mishra had been. Xantra bought him for five gold coins, claiming he was her cousin. His name was Ratape, or Rat for short. I'm just going to call him Rat, because Ratape kind of sounds like a weird name. No offense if your name is Ratape, I've just never heard it before. She explained to Rat that his new name would be Mishra, and he was going to meet the real Urza and convince him that it wasn't his fault his brother had been corrupted. Rat had read The Antiquities War, which I have neglected to mention until now, so I will explain. 
After the Brothers' War, Kawa, who you'll remember was Urza's wife and Queen of Yodia, wrote an epic tale called The Antiquities War. It was all about the Brothers' War, um, but from Kawa's per- perspective, of course. And it was the really the only written account of the Brothers' War. When Xantrum mentioned Urza, Rat thought she was crazy. After all, the Brothers' War had happened 3,500 years ago. That's completely insane. And with perfect timing, a group of red stripes entered the plaza and Xantra smelled glistening oil. That meant that one of the soldiers was a Phyrexian sleeper agent. Xantra made a hasty exit with Rat close behind. Chapter 5 The Quest for Mishra Part 2 Xantra took Rat to an abandoned plaza and tried and failed to get off the chain that linked his ankles together. Xantra took Rat to a farmer and he agreed to help smuggle them out of the city. The farmer turned out to be very nice and helpful and he told them where they could find a blacksmith that would could break the chain on Rat's ankles. Rat then proceeded to try to escape twice before Xantra finally beat some sense into him with her Phyrexian super strength. She summoned the bubble, and they were off. Chapter 6 Sweet Dreams Rat soon dozed off, and Xantra sat by the fire and remembered the first time she met Urza. Just so you know, the flashbacks are going to happen in chronological order, so this flashback happens right after Gix was sent to the 7th sphere, and Xantra was hiding in the 4th sphere. So that's where we're going to pick back up. Xantra was soon caught, punished, and sent to work in the forges. All the workers there were completed and resistant to heat. Xantra was all flesh and had no immunity to fire. When she eventually collapsed from exhaustion, one of the workers stumbled over her and fell into a crucible of molten brass. So Xantra was sent to the arena and tasked with feeding the fearsome beasts and repairing the broken engines. And when a dragon went on a rampage, Xantra was unharmed. She refused to die, and the Phyrexians didn't want to waste energy killing her, so she was made into a dodger. Dodgers were vital in the recovery of magical artifacts. First, the searcher priest would travel to new worlds to see if there was anything of use. A dodger would go with the recovery Phyrexians who brought back the valuable items. The dodger would see if any of the machines made by the people of that world were safe to be taken back to Phyrexia. Basically, they were glorified bomb diffusers. And while I'm at it, I should also explain how Phyrexians got to other worlds. You see, the Phyrexians had developed an artifact called an Ambulator. It's a portal. Nothing special, just a portal, really. It's a metal ring with what looks like a smooth pool of oil in the middle. You set the multiverse equivalent of coordinates into the device, step in, and feel a cold, suffocating chill. Then, bing, bang, boom, you're in another world. Xantra apparently had a knack for dismantling artifacts without dying. So good, in fact, that the planner priest rewarded her with a gold cape that made her look like a completed Phyrexian, even if she wasn't. 
The planar priests are second only to the demons in Phyrexia's hierarchy. Turns out, the gift was a double-edged sword. The other workers were... not jealous. Machines can't feel jealousy. It was more like a feeling of envy for someone or their achievements and advantages. They couldn't do anything about it though, because they needed Xantia to make sure they didn't explode. That all changed one day on a windy world with three small moons. There was an artifact that the searcher priests thought was a powerful weapon. Xantia could tell it wasn't and told the workers this. So they beat her senseless and destroyed the artifact, then told the planner priest that Xantia had destroyed it. Xantia was thrown into a cell, and after a time, she was let out and sent back to work. Xantia, from then on, decided to wage a personal war on Phyrexia. She rigged many of her artifacts to explode or attack, but one day she went too far. They, there were these golden beetle-like machines that Xantia rigged to attack once they went through the portal to Phyrexia. They were taken back and then let loose and dealt massive amounts of damage. A priest managed to trace it back to her and she was beaten and was about to be buried alive when the rain came. For lesser Phyrexians, rain is their worst enemy because, you know, rust. And Xantia was unconscious hanging by her arm from a tree when Urza discovered her. Chapter 7 I say we burn the peasant village. Xantia had fallen asleep, and when Rat woke up, he decided to wake up Xantia too. They ate breakfast, and then they were off, flying high in the sky in the bubble that Xantia could make by yawning. They talked of many things, but all that's important in this chapter is that Rat started to believe what Xantia was telling him. Urza wasn't dead and was fighting the Phyrexians, and he believed this because they were several miles up in the air, and disagreeing with anyone is bad when they can control if you die or not. They continued to fly, and then Rat spotted a burning peasant village. Rat wanted to go help. Xantia refused. They started to fight which is never good in close quarters a couple miles above the ground. Xantia finally agreed, and they were just in time to slam into a thug who was chasing a villager out of the gates of the town. Xantia knocked him unconscious, then crushed his head with her boot, because she's a badass. She tossed Rat a sword, and he began to realize his mistake. His legs were still chained, and he didn't even know how to use a sword. He just hopped away into the burning village, with Xantia falling slowly behind. She killed another thug who attacked her. With Urza's magic bubble armor, they stood no chance at hurting her. The plunderers retreated from the village, and Xantia went to find Rat. She found him in the local temple. He had discovered an ugly truth. The two rival factions, the Shrata and the Red Stripes, had been in coalition. They were both killing and plundering. The Red Stripes had been doing the Shrata's dirty work, with the Shrata only killing when necessary. Rat was determined to save the village, and he had a plan. They would tell the villagers about the Red Stripes and the Shrata working together, and then Xantia would take them, one by one, to the other villages. By the tenth day 
all the villagers were safe. The word had been spread, and Zansha and Rat were on their way back to Urza. Chapter 8. Role-Playing with the God Zantra and Rat traveled all through the night. Zantra had been gone for a full month. It was the longest she had ever been away, and she wanted to get back as soon as possible. They finally arrived at the cottage where Urza was waiting. Rat played the part of Mishra wonderfully. He looked and acted like Mishra, and he had read the Antiquities War, so he knew a vague amount about Mishra. For Urza, he was Mishra. They walked arm in arm into the cabin, leaving Zantra out in the cold to clean up all the belongings they had taken on Rat and her journey. Chapter 9. A Short Lesson in Metaphysics Zantra dragged all her belongings into her half of the small log cabin, then sat down and thought about her first conversation with Urza. Urza found Zantia hanging from a tree by her arm. When she came to, she was no longer on the hill where Urza had found her. She wasn't even on the same plane as that hill. She was in the Blind Eternities. I'm pretty sure I haven't mentioned the Blind Eternities yet, so I guess now is a good time to, you know, do that. And, by the way, this is a shortened explanation. I can do a much longer episode if people want that. Space is a void in which planets, solar systems, galaxies, and the universe exist. The Blind Eternities is like space, but for planes. But unlike space, which is a void filled with really just a lot of empty space, the Blind Eternities is filled with mana, or magic in its purest form. So it's basically... Star Soup. This makes travel much more difficult, as you have to be able to not die instantly. There were portals, like the Phyrexian Ambulator, and the Planar Bridge, which uh, will come much later in the stories. And uh, there was also this skyship called the Weatherlight, but Planeswalkers are the main things that can travel through the Planet Eternities. Premending planeswalkers were capable of creating planes on a whim. Urza hadn't created a whole plane, he just made a small stone room. A container, really. But it was a place where Xantia could stay without getting completely fried. Urza gave her bread, and then planes walked away. He returned with the magic cyst I mentioned in Chapter 3, which he had Xantia swallow. He then taught her the rhyme that created the armor around her, and this armor that Urza made would allow her to survive in the Blind Eternities. Urza took her to a barren plain and showed her his Dragon Engine, a monolithic titan of destruction he would use to destroy Phyrexia when he finally found it. If you guys know Ramos the Dragon Engine, it's very similar to this. It was jet black and bipedal, which means it stood on two legs. Its torso wasn't finished, and there was the beginning of wings on its back. Urza had been living on the plane because there was no sentient life there, but Xantra could not because there was also no oxygen. Urza took her back to the hill where he had found her. Then he took her to a town, and she ate. The golden beetle artifacts Xantra was sp supposed to dismantle 
were still there. They set up camp and waited for the Phyraxians to return. Chapter 10, The Completion of the Dragon Engine Still in flashback, by the way. Ten Dominarian years passed, and the Phyraxians did not return. Urza dismantled the beetle robots and incorporated their parts into his dragon war engine. One winter morning, it was finally finished. The new war engine had eight legs, but was still standing upright, which sounds super weird, but I think it would probably have looked like uh, like a half-human spider thing, but it's metal. It's like a centaur, but a dragon instead, and metal, and massive. Urza called it Folotan. Many years passed, and they still found no sign of the Phyrexians or their emulators. Urza would often go walking the plains in search of Phyrexians, and he gave Zancha a crystal necklace that would send a signal across the plains if she ever found Phyrexians. Xantra began her life on the forex plain and explored the world to her heart's content. Then, after nearly 200 years, Xantra discovered Phyrexians in the forest caves and broke the crystal to signal Urza. Chapter 10.1 Descent into Hell Still in flashback mode. Urza arrived with his dragon engine the next day. He destroyed the Phyrexians without breaking a sweat then stepped through the ambulator that they left, leaving Xantia and the dragon engine behind. After a few hours, Urza returned, then vanished with the f- dragon engine. He, The reason he did this was he didn't know where Phyrexia was, so all he needed to do was travel there once, and then he could go back and planeswalk there. Hey, I was just wondering if you guys remembered the Power Stone, that Zantia was holding when she emerged from the vat. I kind of offhandedly mentioned it, but it's actually incredibly important for three reasons. First, Zantia is worried that if it gets destroyed while Urza is wrecking Phyrexia, then she will die, which is true. Uh, It is her heart, after all. Second and third are actually in other books that I won't cover today, so back to the first reason. Xantra traveled to Phyrexia via the Ambulator. She emerged in the fourth sphere of Phyrexia. Luckily for her, there was no one guarding the portals, and when Xantra crested the hill, she saw why. Urza was burning his way through Phyrexia, one sphere at a time. He would destroy anything and everything in his way, and then tear through the floor of the previous sphere and into the next one. Alarms were blaring, and all the newts were supposed to go to the plane of flesh, which contains the vats where they were born, and the vaults containing their hearts. That is exactly where Zancho wanted to go, so she blended into the crowd and made her way to the plane of flesh. She made it to the plane of flesh. A massive shadow passed over Zancho's head. She looked up just in time to see Urza's winged dragon engine dodge a blast of magic flung, it, flung at it from a Phyrexian demon. Xantra managed to convince one of the priests she was a demon, somehow, and it showed her the way to the hearts. Her heart called to her, like a sixth sense thing. She knew where it was. Xantra found her heart and made her way out of the faint of flesh. She emerged to see Urza's dragon engine was flightless and under assault from all sides. 
Xantra clambered up onto the dragon engine's back and ran to where Urza was seated. He was in a trance and began to say a name. He grabbed her wrists and Xantra's vision went black. Chapter 11 Bacon the Omnipotent Finally, the flashback is over. Now, it's been a few chapters since real-time world, so quick refresher. Rat slash Mishra is with Urza in his half the cabin. Xantra is all alone in her side of the cabin feeling lonely. Xantra got up at dawn and began making bacon, which is why I called this Bacon the Omnipotent. No matter the world, there shall always be bacon. Rat smelled the bacon and came out of the cabin to see if he could have some. Xantra gave him some, and they began to talk about Urza. The conversation went a little something like this. Rat, this is insane. It really is Urza, and I'm Mishra. Xantra, you're not Mishra. Rat, I know that, but I'm supposed to pretend to be him. I have to let myself believe I'm Mishra. Xantra, you're not Mishra. Their conversation continued, and that's basically how it went. Rat would proclaim his astonishment, and Xantra would respond sarcastically. Rat then told Xantra about how the weak stone spoke to him. Mishra and the weak stone were talking to Urza through Rat, not controlling him, but feeding him information. He could say what they wanted to say in his way. Rat got mad at Xantra toward the end of their conversation, and Xantra went back into her cabin. Sometime later, Rat returned and apologized for getting mad. Urza disappeared, gone off, probably to hunt Phyrexians. Xantra's plan was going perfectly. Chapter 12. A Coffee Break on Moag. Flashback time, again. Urza and Xantra made it through three worlds before they found a hospitable one. Xantra got Urza some food and water, though he didn't need it. After a day, Urza planeswalked, taking Xantra with him. After weeks of travel, Xantra had finally had enough. She was tired of bouncing around the multiverse. She wanted to stay on a world long enough to see the seasons change. She wanted to know what Urza was doing, and so Urza told her. After his recent brush with Phyrexia, Urza had finally decided to, to return to Dominaria. He just had a teeny little problem. You remember when Urza sunk a continent in the previous book? I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it a few times. It's a minor detail in the Brothers War. Well, when Urza sunk said continent, Dominaria was like, Wait a minute, something is wrong. Okay, no one panic. Deep breaths. Okay, deep breaths. Panic! And then Dominaria went into hibernation mode for a couple centuries. That is what we call an Ice Age. What's important right now is that when Dominaria freaked out and went into hibernation mode, it shut down and made a barrier around it, and the planes in its nexus. A nexus is a collection of planes similar to a solar system, with the largest and oldest or more mana-rich plane serving as the center of the nexus. Dominaria was the center of a nexus with eight or nine other planes. The barrier Dominaria created is called a shard. It's like a giant metaphysical hamster ball around the nexus. You can't get in, you can't get out. Xantra was royally pissed off, 
but let Urza drag her through like 30 more worlds. After many years, they finally settled on a world called Moak. Urza settled down on a deserted island in the middle of an ocean, and after a decade became known as a prophet and a mad genius. Thirty years passed, and Xantia had built herself a cottage and a garden. She went exploring in the seasons when her garden didn't need to be tended, and met Urza every time the moon was full. On Earth, that would be once a month, but the moon cycle would be different on Moag. One day, Xantia was exploring uh, a southern continent, and she smelled a familiar and very unfortunate smell. Glistening oil, Phyrexia's lifeblood. She tracked the scent to a temple, and was promptly attacked by a Phyrexian disguised as a priest of the temple. She managed to escape, but the damage was done. The Phyrexians knew she was there. Xantia returned to Urza's tower, and she told him what he had learned, and he was furious. But not about the Phyrexians. Oh no. Was furious that Xantia hadn't told him what was going on, then descended to the temple in a ball of fire. He would have leveled the whole place and destroyed anything and everything Phyrexian, except Xantia had anticipated his action, and when Urza descended from the sky like a rabid hellkite, she made her way to the Phyrexians, private quarters, and destroyed the emulator. It was there, in the fire and destruction, that she met Urza. Hand in hand, they left Moog, in hopes that the Phyrexians would chase them and leave Moog in peace. Chapter 12.1 Interdimensional Hide and Seek Urza's plan worked. Too well. They were constantly attacked by all sorts of Phyrexian beasts and soldiers. After years of world hopping, they stopped on an ice world. It had once been inhabited, but it had been, been entirely frozen over. They rested the night and were attacked at dawn. There was a score of Phyrexians. With blade and flame, they descended on them out of the cold, dark woods. Urza formed a soldier out of ice to fight the Phyrexians, and blasted the others with lasers from his eyes. The battle was going well, then something changed in Urza. The Phyrexians swarmed her, and the last thing Xantia saw was Urza surrounded by Phyrexians, glowing brighter than the sun. Then, Xantia fainted. Alright, that's all for this week. Next week uh, will be some sort of supplemental episode. I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. After that will be Planeswalker Part 2, and then the quicker summary episode. And then after I've finished up with Planeswalkers, I plan to cover the next book in the series of four time streams. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I know I do. And if you have any recommendations, let me know. That's all, folks. See you next week.